The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, today our show is about cowards. Well, cowards that have to deal with conflict. And it's really fun to look at this book that I have in my hand that I, I'm going to be interviewing the author Tim Ursini, Ph.D., and the name of the book is The Coward's Guide to Conflict, Empowering Solutions for Those Who Would Rather Run Than Fight. And I love Ken Blanchard, a co-author of The One Minute Manager and Well Done, wrote this. If you are a coward like me when it comes to conflict, then this book could be for you. I now appreciate the need for conflict, and I am getting even better at dealing with it. So I'm so excited to tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest today. We are speaking with Dr. Tim Ursini. He is the founder of Advantage Coaching and Training, Inc. He's a speaker and certified business coach specializing in helping individuals reach peak performance and life satisfaction. In fact, his areas of expertise include communication skills, conflict management, team building, confidence, coaching skills, all the good stuff that you need to balance your life. He's published several videos and books on the topic of coaching, conflict resolution, confidence in the workplace, and change. And as I said, his book, The Coward's Guide to Conflict, is in its fourth printing, and it's been translated into four foreign languages. So he has been interviewed on lots of shows, including The Bottom Line, The Chicago Tribune, People Magazine, Reader's Digest, First for Women, and other periodicals. And he also has been on CNN Radio, Total Living, and ABC Channel 7 News. So we're really thrilled that he's on KUCI with us today in Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. And you can go to AdvantageCoaching.com where you can find out more about him. You can also find more about him and see his picture, his bio, the JPEG of his book, and link to his URL at conflicthealing.com. So thank you, Tim, for joining us today. Boy, after that intro, I'm excited about being here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, yeah. Where is that wonderful coach? So, Tim, how is it that you wrote this book, The Coward's Guide to Conflict? Well, you, you know, anyone that uh, tries to give you advice on writing a book, they say write about what you know. Uh, and so I know what it's like to be a coward. Um, you know, I grew up a very gentle uh, uh, boy, and 
someone who really hated aggressiveness and you know got bullied a lot and just was always very you know meek and mild and you know I was a son of a pastor so you know turn the other cheek which I still believe in by the way uh, but the idea that I ran from conflict um, I didn't face a lot of things and what I saw was the pain that comes from running from conflict um, and what that creates. And, you know, then I went to school and became a psychologist and started learning that there, there are really good ways to have conflict, and you don't have to see it as this terrible, horrible, scary thing, but if you have conflict well, it, it actually produces pretty cool stuff like, you know, deeper relationships and more creativity. And, and I started practicing some techniques, and, and what I found is when I started in my style, no, not aggressively having conflict, but in a healthy manner, that it really created a lot of great things in my life. And so I wrote The Coward's Guide to Conflict because I know I'm not the only coward out there. And uh, I think uh, we want to have an approach that works for us. You know, I love that adage, we teach best what we need to learn. And and that is something, you know, as a long, long time teacher myself, teacher and professor, I know that, you know, I really get into things that I, I love to teach are things that I also need to work on in my own life. So it is really healing for others and healing for yourself. And that's why we have this prescriptions for healing conflict. Now, there, there, you know, I notice because I'm sitting there often in the midst of everybody in conflict. That's that's my career. You know, I have people in conflict and I'm trying to help them just, you know, get to a place where they can come to agreement and move on, you know, positively in their lives. So what I see is people are either fearful, like they're cowards or they're very aggressive. You know, the 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 fright or flight mm-hmm. syndrome. Yes. So, so why is it that so many people really fear conflict? Well, it goes back to what you just said, that, that fight-or-flight response, okay? That response has been built in us. It's ingrained, but it's ingrained from, you know, older days as a defense mechanism against physical danger. So if you, you know, let's say you're walking through the woods, right, and you hear a noise, and, you know, it's good to think that could be a bear, if you think that's a bear, you are now ready to either run or if you have some sort of weapon to shoot. Uh, and it, in, with physical danger, a fight-or-flight response is actually pretty healthy. When it comes to emotional situations, which is mostly what we're dealing with when we're talking about confronting conflict or when you're sitting there you know, helping uh, people work through conflict, is we're reacting to emotional dangers as if they're physical dangers. So that keys in that same fight or flight or fight response, which helps us with physical danger, but it actually hurts us with emotional danger. So we're either yelling and being overly aggressive, which only invites the other person to either shut down or be overly aggressive, or we're retreating, which means there's no way to resolve the conflict. So it's actually we're kind of hardwired with that. Uh, If we can learn to overcome that and see this isn't a physically dangerous, this is a conversation, and treat it differently that can help us overcome that natural response. Right. You, you talk about healthy conflict. So let's explain to my audience, what do you mean by healthy conflict? Absolutely. Because one of my favorite phrases actually, is, you know, whether I'm doing some team coaching or something like that, is that, that a team without conflict is a team without passion. Mm-hmm. If you have passion and you're interacting with other people, there's going to be some form of conflict. 
So when I say healthy conflict, I'm talking about being able to have a difference of opinion, to have some clear expression of those differences where there's no power struggle of, of someone has to win over the other person. It's an attempt to share those shared differences in order to hone each other or maybe create something different or new or, or maybe just come to an understanding, but no one leaves the conversation damaged. Right. Everyone can leave the conversation actually you know, build up. In fact, for cowards, once they learn to have really good uh, conflict, their confidence goes up, their self-esteem goes up, and so they can leave even if they didn't get maybe all they wanted, they can feel better about the way they handled it and by being respectful to each other. Now, you can be respectful with passion. Yes. It doesn't have to be meek, as you know. Right. It doesn't have to be meek, but no one's getting crushed emotionally yes. and certainly not physically. So a healthy conflict is that you know, just have that honest, genuine conversation with energy, with passion, but it's not about power, about who's going to win or lose. And it's Every- not about attacking the other person. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No one has to be a victim to it. Yeah. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm on this committee and... Um, we're all thinking that we're peacemakers and some there was some attacks going on. And so I brought those up, you know, being that I believe in gently confronting in yeah. a very gentle way. And I call it the velvet confrontation. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the people who was um, really, there's really two people who engage in this kind of procedure. And I had gently confronted each of them individually and, um, they they don't see it and they don't own it and they don't want to do anything about it. So there's this backbiting stuff. So I said, you know, I only have four choices. I have a choice to change myself and ignore it, which I don't feel like doing because I'm a volunteer. Number two, I can negotiate for change, which I've tried to do. Number three, I could be miserable and, and stay on a committee and work even though I don't want to do it because I'm a volunteer and it takes me away from my family and my work. Or number four, I can leave. And so that's what I said. These were my four choices. And unless we are going to walk our talk about being peacemakers and really gently confront these issues and work them out and be respectful of each other, then I can't be on this committee. So that's the choice I just had to make. Absolutely. And that was after trying to do the others. Right. There is a time when you have people that aren't coachable. It's different than working with someone who actually is willing to change. I don't know if you saw this research years ago they did on would-be neurosurgeons. And they, they found that two questions would predict the success of whether these people would flunk out of the program or whether they would succeed in the program. Question number one was, do you ever make mistakes? Anyone who said, no, I never make mistakes, yeah. you know, flunked out of the program. Right. And there are people out there who say that. Uh, and there are uh, people who will say that they're right no matter what. Exactly. And the second one was, you know, do you, uh, tell me about the biggest mistake you've ever made. Any of those that externalized the mistake, well, my, was my boss's fault, it's my Blame. wife's fault, it, right. those people flunked out of the program. It was only those people that took ownership and saying, yeah, this is what I messed up and this is what I could have done better. Those people were successful. So it's, it's just like you're saying in your stories that if they can't take any ownership for change, right. you're not going to be successful. And there is a time to pull yourself back from that situation, and you've done your best. Yes, and, you know, people say to me sometimes when they're at work, now, if I had a boss that was like that and I had to stay in that position because I had to feed my family, it would be different. Mm-hmm. And I might have to say, okay, I've got to make the best of it. I've got to change myself even more or be miserable until I can get out of this place and get another job. Yeah. But when you're a volunteer, you don't have to do that. 
You know? <laughs> that's, that's right. Now, when you mentioned Boston, I just tell a quick story from grad school. Yes, yes. Uh, um, you, know, you know, I was going through grad school to get my Ph.D., and, and uh, we had a professor uh, that was teaching us how to uh, do the Rorschach inkblot, which is a very complicated yes. instrument, right? Yep. Uh, and at some point, he got frustrated with the class. and looked at it, and he goes, I don't know if you're all lazy or stupid. Now, I got a little bit of an ego, right? So, but I, that was back when I was still a coward. So what I did is I crossed my, I put my little pin down, I crossed my arms, and I just glared at him, you know, like a nice real passive-aggressive yeah. uh, stance, which, of course, I'm sure crumbled him. Right. Uh, but after the class, something hit me, and I said, you know what? I need to say something. Yes. I just need to say something. And I, every one of my peers said, don't confront him. Yeah. He's the boss, so to right. speak. He goes, he has your career in his hands. This guy right. Pass or fail. <laughs> yeah, pass or fail. Don't do it. I said, you know what? I have to. And so I went to him, and I sat down with him. I said, you know what? I don't know if you meant it this way, but I've got to tell you. I, first of all, I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize for my reaction. You said something in class I didn't like. I crossed my arms, put my pen down, and I just cleared at it. Yeah. And, of course, he goes, you did? <laughs> yeah. He didn't even notice uh, to begin with. And an but apology it, doesn't cost you anything. And nothing. it means a lot to everybody. And I owned it. That was right. wrong of me. Yes. So I just owned my own behavior. And then I turned to him and said, look, I did that. At the same time, I don't think I'm lazy. I don't think I'm stupid. And I don't appreciate you calling me that. Yeah. Now, he leaned back in his chair and just stared at me for a few minutes. And then he looked and goes, yeah, you're right. By the way, I'm looking for a new assistant next year. Would you be interested in that? And I was his assistant the next year. That was one of the biggest learning experiences, even if they have control over your lives. Right. If you go into it politely, right. with ownership, you know what? Sometimes it works out pretty bit, pretty well. Yes. No, and, and I think that's wonderful because I otherwise you, you would have been angrier and angrier about it, and it would have shown up some very insidiously later if you didn't just deal with it right yeah, then. If nothing else, all the misery I'm causing myself that I don't need to have. Exactly, exactly. So this is, if you're listening to this and you're a student on the campus or your business people driving by or listening on the Internet, this is important stuff to learn the gentle art of confrontation where you don't blame you don't attack, you just state things as your discomfort or whatever is going on and just let people know where you are because look at how great it worked out for Tim. He ended up being the, you know, the assistant and, and I'm sure that helped you. I'm sure he gave you a great recommendation. Oh, after absolutely. That. <laughs> it really helped me. And then I ended up writing a book on it. So, you know, That's right. So, exactly. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the concept of being a dipper or a diver? Absolutely. I use the analogy in the book about going into a cold swimming pool. And so when you go into a cold swimming pool, there are two types of people. There's the one person that gets on that diving board, they jump up and down, and they plunge into that water, and they freeze their tail off. Right. Uh, but they get used to the water pretty quickly. Those are the divers. Then you have the dippers. And the dippers, you know, put in one toe, go down to the ankle, get down to the knee, maybe wait a little bit, and then finally ease their way into the water. And uh, that way, it's less harsh. It just takes longer. So when I do workshops, I just say, well, which method is better? And, you know, your divers say diving, your dippers say dipping, and, and the point is neither one. Uh, the point is both of them are getting into the pool. So if you're frightened of conflict, there's really two ways to go after it, either be a dipper or be a diver. And the first thing to get yourself to go after it, you, it's easy to see the pain of the conflict. You have to see the pain of not having the conflict. How is avoiding it paining you? And once you make the decision to face it, either dip or dive. If you're a diver, you just dive in and do it. 
Right. Jump in. But but you still it. can do it gently. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Not because, because some people think, okay, I am sick of this conflict. I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. You know, and that, of yeah, course. Yeah, that works really well, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to make sure that people aren't misunderstanding no, us about diving. Yeah, yeah, diving just means you jump in. You might even say, you know what, I'm, I, I really am not great at having uh, these tough conversations, but it's really important to me that I have it with you. And right. so you still do it respectfully. You just kind of put yourself in there until you get used to it. Right. You're a diver. Right. If you're a dipper, you might pick you know, a very mild issue to disagree with someone. And then maybe something's a little tougher, and then maybe one that's a little scarier. But you master each one, one at a time, and that way you can just slowly build your confidence. You know what? I can actually do this, and, and actually these conversations can create great things in a relationship. So do either one, be a dipper or a diver, but have the conflict as long as it's not, you know, physically dangerous and that type of thing. Right. And sometimes you don't even have to see it as conflict. Some things, for example, you you know, it, instead of saying, let's agree to disagree, which is kind of a negative connotation, yes. it it's really, um, your words are so powerful. So if you say, gee, you know, I can see your perspective, and you know what, I have a different perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to share that perspective with you coming from my, my view. Yeah. And that way, you're not looking at it as me against you. You're looking at it as a problem to be solved. Absolutely. And the more you can use uh, partnering-type language in that conversation, the better. I mean, one of the techniques I teach in the book is the 100 plus 1%. And, and that's where you always find some point of agreement before you add on your additional perspective. And, you know, one of the times I had to practice that, I was doing a, a workshop on coaching skills for... 70 managers from across the world, and in the middle of my session, one of the, the leaders, I think it was from France, stood up and said, this is stupid. I'm not here to babysit my people. And so they're challenging me in front of everybody, in front right. of 70 people, calling my stuff stupid, right. because they, they saw coaching as babysitting, which I don't see coaching as babysitting, but right. this right. is stupid. I'm not here to babysit my people. Right. So I had a choice there. I could either go back at them and say, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, coaching as a babysitting, sit down, which probably would not have gone well. No, no. Or I could think, you know, where do I agree with them? Which right. I did on the spot. I said, you know what? Where she and I agree is that you're leaders here. And if you're babysitting your people, you're not doing your job. You are to empower your people. You're to grow your people. And we are exactly on the same page. At the same time with coaching, what you're actually doing is you're building them up to be better problem solvers. Right. So I joined in, just added another perspective. Do you know what she was doing the rest of the session? She was nodding her head and <laughs> taking notes. He's a pretty smart guy. I like him. Right, because you agreed with him, and you, like you said, you agreed genuinely. wherever you genuinely agreed, and you didn't say, no, you're wrong. You just really showed where there, you, you reframed as well. By yeah, saying, I, I just didn't, I, the, main, the main challenge there was controlling my ego. Yes. Because my ego was hurt. She called my stuff stupid. You know? Right, right. As long as we can control our ego, uh, we can usually discipline ourselves to have these good conversations. Right. It's like, you know, Bill Urie and Roger Fisher, and, and I trained with them at, at Harvard, and I remember, you know, their book, Getting to Yes, is you have to separate the person from the problem. That's right. And so if you got mad at this French woman, that, you know, and got hurt, your ego got hurt, it wouldn't go anywhere. So if you're looking at it as a problem, you're just solving it by saying, yes, you know, we aren't here to babysit them. We're here to empower them. So that's looking, where super. Where do we agree? Where do we actually agree? Yes. And when you start there and then add your own opinion, boy, it works a lot better than just coming in disagreeing. And even if you don't agree, you know, you can say, you know, I'm really listening and I hear that point that you're making. And from, from your perspective, it, 
it makes a lot of sense, and, and I understand that. But yeah, from my and, and, and so sometimes you can't agree, but yeah, you can at least acknowledge. Yeah, on those rare occasions. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about ninety percent of the time, you can find something they said you agree with. Right. Like she said, this is stupid. I don't agree with that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but I. But you can just ignore idea. that. Yeah, so I just kind of <laughs> just skipped over that part. Uh, but the fact is, ninety uh, percent of the time, if we look hard enough, I think we can't find agreement. And as you're saying, that other ten percent of the time. Yes. Then you can just acknowledge them. Yes. And that's what people want anyway. Yeah. And it's even this French woman. She just wanted to be acknowledged that she was right that she shouldn't be a babysitter. Yep. And you did that. That's right. Perfect. And I believed it. It was genuine. Yeah. We are speaking with a wonderful guy from Chicago, my old hometown, Tim Ursini, who is the author of The Coward's Guide to Conflict, Empowering Solutions for Those Who Would Rather Run Than Fight. So in your book, you talk about the four destructive ways to have conflict. So let's talk briefly about those. We don't want to encourage those, but yeah. people can maybe see where they're doing that. We're not going to recommend those? Is yeah, we're saying? not recommending those. <laughs> All right. So four different styles. You know, one is the aggressor. And usually when I'm doing an audience, I actually have them sculpt a position that shows this. Uh, but that's, the aggressor is pretty much a power position. They're the critical. They're criticizing uh, it's the criticism mode, I'm better than you, I know more than you. I'm right. People down, I'm right, you're <laughs> wrong, black and white, etc. Right. We all know that one. We're, right. we're very familiar with that one. So we know that's destructive. The pacifier, though, is also destructive. The pacifier might say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the truth is, they're not sorry, they just want you to shut up. Right, <laughs> right. So the, the pacifier often takes the criticizer, and they try to pacify them, right. and it doesn't work. Because now the criticizer feels power. Right. So now, and they don't respect the person because they're down on their knees. Mm-hmm. And so now we've actually escalated the conflict when we're trying to pacify the conflict. So that's the second one is the pacifier. The third one is the rationalizer. And those are the people that just try to do it on their head. Now, if you just think logically about this, you'll see. And they, the aggressor is uh, consciously demeaning. Uh, the rationalizer is actually uh, passively demeaning. You know, I'm obviously smarter. I can control my emotions. Mm-hmm. And so those are people that don't let their heart speak. They're not, they're not letting you into your heart. They're guarded, and it's an intellectual process versus a whole person process. Right. And then the withdrawer is that I, I symbol it by having people cross their arms and just turn their backs to each other. The withdrawal just refuses to have the conversation. It's like, what's wrong, honey? Nothing. Right. No, no, I can tell something's <laughs> wrong. You know, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing's wrong. Or let's just no, move. Wrong. I, I love the thing, like like this committee that I'm on. This let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, that's a withdrawal right it's, there. It's, it's over with. Let's just move on. And I said it's not over with. It's like the the rug is bumpy underneath, or the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. You can't move on. You got to deal with it, and that the choice was not to deal with it. So right, and with you know. withdrawal, <laughs> it never gets solved. Right. So those four styles, and we can all can fall into them. When I used to do marriage counseling years and years and years ago, uh, I would actually have them stand up and play out the positions. And you'd see one would be the aggressor, the other would try to placate, and that would make the aggressor angrier. Then the other one would finally withdraw. Now now they have the power, so the aggressor starts coming after them. And so it's, it's, it's power back and forth, and if you play any of those four roles to their extreme, they will not work. Yep. So let's talk just a little bit. We don't have a lot of time, but let's just talk a little bit because I think this is important. What can we tell my audience who really hates conflict? How can they learn to embrace it? Yeah, you know, part of it is, is, is going back to analyzing 
the pain and pleasure. You know, Tony Robbins and others talk about pain and pleasure. That's what drives this basic psychology. I actually have people work out a pain uh, pleasure analysis of any potential conflict. What's painful about having the conflict? What might be pleasurable about having the conflict? What's painful about not having the conflict? What's pleasurable about not having it? And by really analyzing it, it helps people come to a true choice of what really is the best thing to do. The other thing I encourage them to do is we spend all of our time visualizing how the conflict can go badly. I encourage my clients to visualize how the conflict will go well. Yes, and how there's going to be resolution and and better relationships. Yes, see yourself as confident, see it flowing, et cetera. And then if you go in with a couple tactics like the 100 plus 1% and and also the ability to talk about how the conversation is going, which is called metacommunication, that's where you basically just stop the conversation and say like, you know, Mari, you know, how do you feel our conversation is going? You just kind of do a check-in. Right. Or, or let's say things were getting tense between us. I might just stop and say, you know, Mari, I feel this conversation is going in a way that I don't think either one of us like. How do we fix it? Perfect. And that, if you use that technique and the 100 plus 1 as a tactic, those two, I'll tell you, most of the time, they diffuse the conflict if you can just stay with them. Tim, you are just wonderful. So okay. we are, we're going to just mention your book again, The Coward's Guide to Conflict, Empowering Solutions for Those Who Would Rather Run Than Fight by Tim Ursini. Tim, you're great. We will have you back again. Let us know about your next book. And uh, we will also send people to AdvantageCoaching.com. So Thanks, thank Mar- you for fun. having us. All right. Fun. Yes. Okay. Hey, you, take care. Bye-bye. You've bye-bye. been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI. Visit our website at conflicthealing.com. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and find out more about conflict and how to make your life more peaceful. Thanks. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.